Welcome to Voices of the Walk, Pass for All's everyday walking podcast. Our mission is to get Scotland walking, everyone, everywhere and every day. In this podcast series, we'll be hearing from a variety of Scotland's walking champions who are helping make our vision a reality. Hello, uh, my name is Graham McQueen. I'm the manager of Pass for All's Smarter Choices, Smarter Places programme, and I'm delighted to be joined today by three distinguished guests for this Voices of the Walk podcast episode. Today we have Dr Katie Waller, who's an Inverness-based GP, who also chairs Velocity Cafe Inverness. And we have Dr Viola Marks, who is a Green Health Partnership Coordinator with NHS Tayside. And we have Emma Thomas, who is a Senior Project Officer on the Sustainable Transport Programme that Fourth Environment Links in the Fourth Sorry, Fourth Environment Link runs in the Fourth Valley. All of our guests today have one thing in common. The projects are all funded through our Smarter Choices, Smarter Places programme to deliver social prescribing initiatives. Before we delve into finding out more about these individual initiatives, I think it'd be really helpful for our listeners to hear from our experts on exactly what social prescribing is. So, Kate, over to you. Oh, thank you very much, Graham. Um, so, social prescribing, I guess it's quite a complicated thing. But it's also quite a simple thing. So I guess it's a term that we use very loosely to describe an intervention that health professionals can recommend that isn't a medicine, that aims to improve somebody's health. Um, And that's kind of the common way that we're using it. So that's a simple answer. But if you pick at it a little bit more closely, there are some, some things that are worth sort of highlighting with that definition. So in a broad way, take somebody who's got high blood pressure or diabetes or depression. And we know that in a, in a very simple way, a social prescription in this situation might be for that person to walk more and to get them into a place where they're able to walk more. So a bit like old fashioned prescribing of medicines, um, it's actually a lot more complicated than saying walk more. And a bit like old fashioned prescribing, it actually all starts with the conversation. And the content and the quality of that conversation will determine a lot about whether that pill or that treatment or that intervention stays in the cupboard or the trainers stay in the box or whether actually it happens. Social prescribing is an intervention in many senses that we can say is is designed to address social determinants of health. So somebody's health is made up of loads of things. It's made up of the environment that you live in, the genes that you've got, some chance factors. There's lots of things that go into a melting pot of why somebody has the health that they have. And we do know that actually the environment that somebody lives in makes up a huge bit of that health. And the, the example that's often quoted around that and around these social determinants of health is that somebody's life expectancy in one area of Glasgow might be 15 years lower than another part of Glasgow. And a lot of that is it, it can be attributed to what we call social determinants of health. So they're the things like the housing that you have, the work you do, the money that you've got, your education, what social networks you are, how active you are, whether you smoke or not, and the list goes on and on and on. Problem is that many people can't really easily change those social determinants of health. So for everybody, they'll have their own set of barriers to why they can't change some of those circumstances. And I guess social prescribing is an intervention that's looking at trying to start to unpick some of those barriers that people have. So it has to be person centered because each individual has very different social circumstances and very different barriers to the things that can improve their health. So, for example, we know walking is a really great way to improve your health, your mental health, your physical health, diabetes. But every different person will have different barriers to 
how to why they can't do that. So it might be that they're looking after an elderly relative with with dementia and actually their barrier to walking is getting some respite care. Another person, it might be that they can't afford a pair of trainers. A third person might be that actually they've got mobility issues and they need some help or they need or, for example, it might be around getting childcare. So really every single social prescription comes from a place of needing to be really focused on that one person what are their barriers what are the things that they can change and what are the things that we can help them with the second point is it's got to be motivational so to get people to a place that they can change the things that they have agency over we've got to be able to help them to do that and it not being finger wagging but really just helping them make those changes so The term I really like is about patient empowerment. And this is about us helping to empower patients to make choices. That was a very long-winded answer, wasn't it? No, no, that's that's brilliant. I mean, I've been talking about social prescribing for about three years now, and that's the best explanation I've heard of it. So thank you very much. Uh, And just to try and follow on for that, Viola, um, in your opinion, what are the, the key benefits of social prescribing then? I think Katie's covered a lot of these already, so I'll try not to repeat anything because it was such a fantastic explanation. I guess to to summarise it, the main benefits that social prescribing has is it helps our physical, mental and social well-being and health. And then just as touched upon before, that can be broken into lots of different elements. So social prescribing helps address the needs people have from physical activity to diet and nutrition, housing, mental health, social support, and many, many more. So it's that approach that's more than medicine. And in a way that feeds into the sedentary lifestyle that many people have, or most of us have these days, because, you know, we get up, we go to work, we sit down, we move a little bit, we sit down again, we go home. And then we sit some more having having dinner and then in front of the television. On now at home working, we might eat, not even have the commute anymore. So the sedentary lifestyle that many people have is a massive contributor to ill health. And social prescribing, apart from the targeted interventions, whether that's, you know, diet, nutrition, housing, mental health, they get people outside and they get them active. And my programme, Green Health Prescribing, Green Health Partnerships, focuses specifically on interventions that take place outside. So it can be any of the activities that help us socially, but simply by changing the environment from an indoor setting to an outdoor setting, there's even more benefits that people can get. From a smarter choices and a pass for all perspective, social prescribing can provide a unique link between health and transport. Projects such as those we support and those we're discussing today can influence behaviour change for people that need to get more active for their health, but can also do so in a manner that encourages less car journeys and more sustainable travel. So encouraging people to build activity into their day-to-day lives and journeys covers both their, their transport needs and their health needs. And I think it's much more likely that people will continue with the changes if it becomes a habit and it's got purpose. So I think the really powerful thing uh, for us up in Inverness and the Highlands has been the coming together of the transport, sustainable travel with health together. And I think that's been powerful because actually it reframes a lot of the, the story for people doing these changes within their lives around how they move around can be done for from a from a standpoint of not just your own health but actually your community's health and health for the planet as well 
it's amazing how much more of a motivator that's now becoming that we're hearing about in the consulting room of people saying, well, actually, I want to do something for the planet. I want to do something for my grandkids. So I've got an e-bike or I've started walking to, around to the shops. And I think that, that that twin powerful model of smarter choices, smarter places, bringing, being willing to bring a funding to uh, a health setting has been really, really helpful. It's been helpful to unlock funding from our side as well, from the health setting side. Um, and I think it really helps transport and health come together, come together on what I think is a, both a health and a transport agenda, really. No, oh, fantastic. That's really encouraging. You hear the examples there of people that people are giving when they, they change their behaviours. So. Um, yeah, so smarter choices, smarter places have been absolutely essential in our Dundee model of social prescribing or green prescribing, as I like to call it. We developed a, a sort of formal pathway that's open to self-referrals to allow NHS professionals, so anyone from the GPs, the nurses, the consultants, the pharmacists, to identify people who would benefit from a green health activity. In order to deliver this service, we needed to make it person-centred. And in order to do it person-centred, we needed a consultant in our team who's able to have consultations with people who've received a prescription to find the activity that they will enjoy and want to engage in. So we have we have a whole lot of activities in there delivered by our third sector in Dundee from you know walking groups, gardening groups. But one of the, the things that we found was missing initially was a cycling group that's accessible. There are many people who can't make use of a normal two-wheeled bicycle and then Dundee's quite hilly, probably as many cities are in Scotland. So we needed that electric element as well. So we developed a group called Rediscover Dundee, which is an electric tricycle group. And our green health development worker also coordinates this group. So we have a direct link in from green health prescribing to our Rediscover Dundee group. And that's enabled so many more people to participate in active travel that haven't been able to do that before because they might have mobility issues or weight issues or balance issues or people have COPD um, or we have some cancer patients as well. So having these electric tricycles has been absolutely amazing because so many more people are now on bikes and during the pandemic and it's still continuing, we've started to let people who are part of the programme use these in their own time. And there are a couple of people who still have a trike and they use it twice a day um, instead of taking the taxi or the bus because they have a mobility walker, but an electric tricycle enables them to move about freely. And we see them cycling around town and then they wave to us and it's actually really amazing. This project was really amazing and we wouldn't have been able to do that without support from Smarter Choices, Smarter Places. It's always great to hear stories like that. It's always good. Um, I mean, another positive thing for me that you mentioned there is the partnerships that develop through these projects. I mean, I know you guys in the Fourth Valley, Emma, have got some fantastic partnerships with the project you do. For us, it helped us kind of bring together clinician team from NHS Fourth Valley and also kind of academic side of it because we wanted to do a study, an evaluation study, so Edinburgh University. So without this, the Smarter Choices funding, we wouldn't have been able to kind of make those links and, and bring all those people together. Our project so was a partnership between those three entities, specifically the surgical colorectal cancer team at Fourth Valley and Dr Paul Kelly is part of the physical activity for Health and Research Centre. So collectively, we were we were interested in 
the long-term use of e-bikes with patients that were going under bowel cancer surgery. Um, and we wanted to explore both prehabilitation and what kind of effect that would have on their fitness levels, but also trying to kind of integrate cycling into their day-to-day lives to, to see if it would kind of if they would use the, the e-bikes not just for leisure but for for making everyday journeys so basically the, the nhs team kind of led on the recruiting section fal provided e-bikes and cycling support then university did the the study we'd aimed to work with between 20 to 30 patients providing each of them with an e-bike for around about three to four weeks before surgery. But unfortunately, COVID had a bit of an impact on that with the surgery times being delayed. We also wanted to provide some wraparound care in the form of kind of cycling conference sessions and one-to-one buddy rides and social rides with the patients. And we wanted to monitor the e-bike use as well. So we, we had trackers on the bikes. So we'd be able to collect that data and look at the kind of behaviour and how they were using the bikes, what distances they were going. Dr Paul Kelly also conducted some interviews with the patients and staff just to get a, an idea of how they were using it and how they were feeling about it. Just give you a wee snippet of kind of some key kind of things that came out of it was that the, we'd managed to recruit 13 patients all and all for the trial and we, that was kind of impacted because of the, the pandemic and there was kind of less face-to-face time in, in the hospital with the patient. Um, I think actually there was 82 patients that went through surgery and I think there was maybe 32 that were actually only eligible from the the trackers we found are around about 40% were using the e-bikes in the way that was consistent with health enhancing physical activity. A patient's experienced positive impacts in relation to their mental health and their outlook and physical health. I think probably the most important one from a patient point of view was their mental health. They kind of described it in terms of giving them peace of mind and helping them to um, helping them with depressive feelings or it gave them a kind of sense of well-being. With their outlook, they spoke about it in a general sense in life, but also with their cancer diagnosis, saying things like it, it took them out of patient mode and into recovery mode. And I think one of the key things that, that we noticed as a benefit was it kind of gave the patients a sense of ownership or control over their own treatment plan. And the clinicians also kind of spoke about their the kind of offer of the e-bike being a kind of a positive aspect of something positive to talk to the patient about aside from giving them this terrible negative diagnosis and it also helped them I think once they'd kind of realized that there was physical benefits and it helped with their recovery they were more inclined to talk about their their care in general and for our specific patients they also talked about benefits related to their cancer so they had improved bowel movements there was reduced side effects from the chemotherapy and they were just able to cope with it a little bit better so yeah it's good that's brilliant. I mean, that's a really good sort of overview of your project as well. I mean, really, we should probably ask uh, the other guys to give us a brief sort of overview of what your project is specifically and how it works. Because I know there is, we've got the three different projects which are all based in social prescribing, but they all work in a slightly different way. So Emma, you kind of said yours was with a very specific target audience um, and it was referrals from that target audience, whereas uh, the one in Dundee and the one in Inverness are slightly different. So um, Viola, would you give us a, a sort of brief overview of how your project works? 
Our project has a, well, used to have just a paper-based prescription. So we took the red medical prescription and we turned it green. We took away the slip where you prescribe medication and replaced that with lots of activities that people can choose from because we actually want the person to choose what they want to do rather than the prescriber to tell the person what they are to do. Because if somebody doesn't like walking, then they will not go walking, but maybe they like yoga or cycling or something else. We created this this physical form that looks like a prescription that prescribers, so this can be GPs, nurses, anyone in primary or secondary care really that has contact to patients and that patients talk to, enable them to issue this prescription. We now have a digital version as well. So if there's a near me consultation or a telephone consultation, we can also issue a, a digital prescription instead. So the prescriber gives a prescription to a suitable patient and a suitable patient for us is very general because we have so many different activities supporting so many different people and needs. So it can be anyone that needs socially connected. We have a lot of people who suffer from social isolation or loneliness. Um, we have many people with mental health that can be low mood to severe depression. It really depends. It's a spectrum. We have people with cancer and we're linking to Macmillan um, and steps to health. And then we have people with mobility issues. We have people with COPD. We have people who are uh, getting physiotherapy already. So we just need to work kind of on getting more active in general. We're also linked into the surgery teams. So for pre-surgery, getting people active and fitter so that the outcomes are better afterwards. But we're also linked in directly to the vascular surgery team because they use walking as part of their treatment plans. So again, walking or any other form of physical activity that we can offer um, is linked into that. So for us, it's really, really broad. We also have arts and crafts classes Again, for those who want to be socially connected or maybe are not able to join a walk because of their condition. So, yes, we have a consultation at our Green Health Development Worker. They then talk to the patient and find out which of all of these activities do they want to try. It really is about trying them and seeing what they enjoy. So one shoe doesn't fit all. And after the activity, we check in with them again and ask, how did you get on? Did you like this? Do you want to go back? Do you want to try something else? We have some people who don't enjoy the walking groups. They then join another class that they very much enjoy. We also have some people who start off with one thing and enjoy that so much and that they start participating in other activities. So it's about having that conversation and then sending them there. At the same time, all of this is open to self-referrals. During the pandemic, actually, we had a significant increase. 50% of our referrals came through self-referrals. So people who heard about the service and just gave us a call or sent us an email or a text message and said, hi, do you have something I can do? Um, so we, we got them linked up in that way. We now also offer online activities. Obviously, that was a necessary requirement during the pandemic when we weren't allowed to meet but actually we learned that this opened the doors for many more people who are usually unable to join us in person because they might have caring responsibilities and they just don't have the time to travel or they have transport issues so they don't have the means to get from A to B or they're working and many of the activities happen during working hours um, but also people who are socially anxious you know getting them to a new activity that's hard enough 
um, in, in normal circumstances, but if somebody is really, really worried, actually allowing them to meet people online first, maybe with their camera off, can build that trust. And then eventually that jump into doing activity outside with the people. So um, our model has adapted a lot because we wanted to make sure that as many people as possible are reached and, and can be reached. And I guess the last group that really benefited from the online activities um, were people who are housebound in general and unable to leave. So now at least we managed to get them active a little bit and we've received fantastic feedback. So we'll continue working with prescribers and with people to adapt and find ways that we can make it possible for them to become active. Fantastic. You know, it's, it's, as you say, it's very wide ranging and covers a lot of people, so which is which is great. Katie, again, yours yours works slightly differently again in that it's a well, it's peripatetic officers between GP surgeries, I think, isn't it? So could you give us a wee brief overview of how your project works? I was very aware as a GP that I was having a lot of opportune moments with patients for discussions around behaviour change, around potentially people taking up walking, cycling, wheeling more, but that I was time pressured and probably actually not very well skilled in having those conversations. I think there's a realisation that to have a really good motivational conversation with people, that takes skill. And unfortunately, most health professionals really bizarrely are not trained in this and not trained well in it. And I hope that's something that's changing now. But certainly my generation, I can't remember having a single training um, experience throughout my entire medical training on actually how to have conversations with people around behaviour change. And that training is all stuff that I've sought out afterwards. So I guess what we wanted to do is give space for patients to have a better, more in-depth, more person-centred conversation that would be motivational around physical activity uptake with a focus on walking, wheeling, cycling. So the model that we took was of referral clinic, a bit like a smoking cessation clinic. So having some um, link workers who were there that we could refer to or patients could self-refer to um, for a one-to-one conversation, an in-depth one-to-one conversation, sometimes up to an hour long, so the first one, and then to be followed up over a three-month period with the explicit aim of forming a goal of what their physical activity uptake plan was going to be. And the link workers really help people to think about why being more active is important to them and how it will benefit them and exploring the, ba- the, ba- the barriers I was talking about, what makes it difficult, and looking at ways that can be achievable. And all doing that through, through motivational interviewing. Um, and a testament to that is that of our participants, and I think we've now topped, I think, 400, over 400 participants, walking is by far the most commonly chosen activity. And of those people who choose an activity, walking is the one most readily achieved. That's given me great confidence in terms of thinking back about those social determinants of health, that we're not worsening health inequalities, because actually walking is available to everybody and it's achievable very easily. So that's been really empowering to see that. But it's not just walking. So some people will actively want to join a group. As Viola said, there's a really important bit there about social connection. And there's an important bit about fun as well. So some people will be joining a ping pong group or gardening or volunteering or helping uh, get cycling skills. So very much 
signposting on and referring on, as Viola mentioned, to other local services and groups. And really, the whole project came from the gap between knowing that these interventions help, but actually, how do we help people to make those changes and support them in that behaviour change? Again, a bit like Viola, we had lovely, we've had lovely feedback. You know, I've got a quote here. Um, before taking part in the project, I did virtually no exercise. Meeting up with the link workers given me the necessary motivation to get moving and enjoying it. It came at the right time and gave me the kickstart I needed. And I'm I hear that time and again from patients that actually this is feels empowering. It's often in the context of say a diabetes consultation when people are coming in with the expectation that they're going to be told off and told to take more tablets and actually the outcome of the consultation is is potentially a life-changing step taken for them in a very different direction to take control of their chronic disease and I think that chronic conditions link with chronic conditions has been really powerful and the evidence from our monitoring and evaluation as I said is really that walking is a walking is a win-win but there are lots of other activities as well that were helpful so a very simple model we started with a few surgeries we expanded out to more surgeries and we're now open to referrals in from all surgeries in the NHS Highland area from secondary care as well and from allied health professionals and I think one thing that's really interesting is that the dietitians have become a really strong referring group because there's obviously really strong links that go there with people wanting to, to get more control over their weight as well so it, it's it's evolved it's we they were early adopters of near me before the pandemic so I think we were we were actually a case study for near me nationally before the pandemic um, because they were using it and uh, and that's become the standard way now thank you very much Kate I mean I think you know listening to everyone's overview of the projects there's there's obviously big differences between projects and how you approach things, but there's a lot of similarities as well. And I think that person-centred, um, patient-centred focus is incredible across the three projects. I think that's really positive. Well, hopefully everyone else agrees with some fantastic projects there as well. I mean, you've been, they've been a pleasure to support and we want to continue supporting them going forward. Um, I'd just like to kind of finish off with one final discussion point. So some of the main elements of the social prescribing projects are mental health, physical health, and we also want to mention the climate emergency. So... I mean, with those three topics, could each of you volunteer for one of them and just give us a brief kind of run through how social prescribing, how your project specifically can support either mental health, physical health or the climate emergency? Any volunteers for? I'd volunteer for any of those three. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> well, I'll do whichever one the other ones don't want to do because I'm happy to... Okay, Emma, you had your hand up. So which one would you like to start on, Emma? Oh, I'll take climate change then. <laughs> oh, yeah, fourth environment link, of course you should. Yeah, but, um, so integrating health um, and transport is is key. And I think I think some people are put off when they're told, you know, the chief medical officer is trying to, to get your weekly dose of exercise and you have to think maybe I have to do a class or maybe I have to do something out with what you normally do, kind of fit it into your schedule. And I think cycling and walking are just, they're just perfect for that because you can use them to, to kind of get to places, go to your shop, go to work and you get your exercise through that. So I think, yeah, trying to combine uh, social prescribing with transport is it's just just a win-win. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Emma. I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> um, mental health or physical health? Viola, you can, you can choose. Let's go for the mental, mental health one. Um, social prescribing is great for mental health because it connects us to others and that spikes 
dopamine and all the happy hormones in us in the first place. It's good for our mental health, specifically in our project, because we get people outside. And that just gives you that headspace, that fresh air, that moment where you can calm down and you can listen to what's around you. So you don't even need to be there with somebody else. You can do this on your own and you still you still get lots of benefits. Now, if you start moving around, you also get the physical benefits, but I'm not going to go into that. There was this one study that I just really enjoyed, and it was published now during the pandemic, where it just showed how significantly uh, acute stress, so when you're stressed in the moment and you just feel like everything's getting too much, how that taking yourself outside reduces that stress and helps helps you calm down again and, and manage everything else that's around you much better. So those are the little things that will eventually could potentially contribute to you being chronically depressed if we don't kind of take care of the little bits that happen in our day to day. So I think for our mental health and resilience and social prescribing activities are just absolutely fantastic. So hopefully that's enough. <laughs> that's brilliant. I'm, I'm just away outside now. Oh, no, wait a minute. I better finish this first. <laughs> Kate, physical activity. As I said earlier, we know that social determinants of health impact our physical health. We know that obesity has been a factor of the way our society works. And I guess that social prescribing is a means of starting to engage people with ways that aren't medical ways to to address what are source some of the, you know in some cases social factors now I'm, I'm cautious about social prescribing because i think it's easy to say social prescribing is is brilliant and we should really go for social prescribing which we should because it fits with a big movement around realistic medicine and about prescribing not me- over medicalizing our world but i think it has to come with a caution this is focusing very much on an individual's behavior and behavior change but there are many many interventions that would have a much more powerful effect across a society which actually not within the individual's remit but within political remit and I guess that's the bit where we're coming to the crux of it at the moment in our society I think in terms of the push and the pull so um, we know that a walking wheeling cycling is good for our health we know it's good for our society we know it's good for our communities Now, the problem is, if you make it all about an individual's choice, you're missing a big part of the story, because another big part of the story is actually about the environment that we live in that is determined by some of the political decisions that we make. I know this might be um, taking things a bit beyond the, the, the topic of conversation, but I think it's worth pointing out that actually the biggest power of public health doesn't rest with health professionals socially prescribing. The biggest power of public health rests with politicians making decisions about the environment and the society that we live in. And that will have a much bigger impact than individual um, social prescriptions. So if I was to wave a magic wand, I would say I'd love to live in a society where social prescribing, yes, is normal and is well done, where the health professionals doing it are well trained to do it and have the skills to do it. But I'd really like to live in a society where it isn't at all put, the onus, the onus isn't all put on the individual, but actually the onus is actually on our society to build a society that makes it easy for people. Easy to walk, easy to cycle, easy to wheel, easy to get around with visual impairments. And I think for me, that's 
a bit of the narrative around social prescribing we need to be really careful about because it sometimes gets harnessed of saying well you know it's all up to people getting out there and walking it's all up to individual responsibility I think it, it's what I love about these projects is it allows us to sensitize a lot more people to the environment that we're living in and how important it is to get that environment right as well. No, amazing, Kate. Thank you very much. I mean, I think is yeah, I think we can all agree it's part of a bigger picture. Um, I think that's definitely we can agree on that. So again, thank you so much for coming along. We very much appreciate your time and hopefully everyone has found it as interesting and as enlightening as I have to hear your, your opinions. So thank you very much.